0: There is a verse in Ecclesiastes that I love very much. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, and it says this, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Let me read that to you one more time. I think you can readily see the beauty and the truth of these words. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You see, every individual, every individual person, you and I, we all possess both strengths. And weaknesses. Uh, no one person, no one individual person has all the wisdom and skill that are needed to navigate life well. And that is why other people in our lives are hugely important. Because you see, different individuals uh, do not all share the same strengths or the same weaknesses. And so, two are better than one. And three are still better than two. We see that, don't we, uh, in the context of church fellowship. And what is true of individuals is also true at a, a bigger, greater level of society. A monocultural society can amplify both its virtues and blind spots. A monocultural society can both honor and celebrate what is good without serious challenge, and it can also accept great evil as normal without much argument. Cultures also have strengths and weaknesses. And that is why there is great benefit to living in a multicultural society. Uh, Each human culture has different strengths and different weaknesses. And so multicultural society can help us both appreciate what is good about our own culture, and it can also give us the perspective we need to assess our own culture's failings. So there are some wonderful benefits to living in a multicultural society. But life in a multicultural society has its challenges. For example, there is a great temptation to treat everything as relative. There is no absolute, but everything is relative what's good for you great but it doesn't work for me and there is a great temptation to treat everything as relative and nothing is absolute and so think about the fact that ephesus was a great roman metropolis it was a great city in the Roman Empire, and it was truly a melting pot of cultures, of languages, of philosophies, and different religions. And what that means is, is that Christians who lived in Ephesus, they daily face the pressure to see Jesus as just one among many viable options. And Christians living in Ephesus... We were told that exclusive commitment to Jesus made them unfit for their society. That doesn't sound a lot like our society, the times that we live in? If Jesus floats your boat, great, but not for me. There are so many other religions. Let's just coexist, let's just get along. You do what makes you happy, I'll do what makes me happy. And by the way, you better stop insisting that Jesus is the only way. How dare you? How rude. How, what a what disrespectful perspective that is. Because if you keep on insisting that Jesus is the only way, you have no place in this society. But in this passage, as well as elsewhere, we see that only Jesus, only Jesus can redress the two greatest tragedies of human history. First, the first tragedy that Jesus and only Jesus can redress is the creature's alienation from their Creator. And the second great tragedy that only Jesus can redress is human alienation from fellow human beings. Jesus, and only Jesus, reconciles us to God, and only Jesus can reconcile us to one another. And so the first thing I'd like to draw your attention to this morning is alienation from heaven. Alienation from heaven. Now, you remember from verses 1 through 10, we spent about three weeks In verses 1 through 10, we saw there the sinner's alienation from God, being dead in the trespasses and sins. And in verses 1 through 10, we also saw that God effected reconciliation, not according to what we offered him, but God effected reconciliation by grace. So Paul told us, by grace you have been saved through faith. And then verse 10, it ended with the goal of salvation, where Paul told us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then comes verse 11. Therefore, and the use of the word therefore tells us that this passage is not only connected to what came before, but it is actually the logical consequence, a conclusion to everything that Paul has taught us in verses 1 through 10, how we as sinners were alienated from God, but that God by grace has reconciled us in Jesus Christ. And so verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, remember. You see, the good works which God prepared beforehand, which we read in verse 10, that begins, and it starts with, our remembering, and it starts with when we take to heart what we are without Jesus. Because you see, the claims of Jesus and the teachings of his gospel begin to sound like just one option among many equally valid choices if we forget that only Jesus can rescue us. And that's why in verse 11, Paul says, Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. Now you remember how God made covenant with Abraham, and God gave to Abraham circumcision as the sign of the covenant between God and Abraham. And so from that point on, Abraham's children were set apart from the rest of mankind by the covenant sign of circumcision. So much so that from that point on, the words circumcised and uncircumcised became synonyms for Israel and the Gentiles. So to be called a circumcised Uh, To be called circumcised meant that you are an heir of God's covenant promises and you are a member of Israel. To be called uncircumcised meant that you are a Gentile outsider to God's covenant. Now certainly, uh, physical circumcision did not mean that the circumcised person belonged to God in a true way spiritual sense we only need to remember for example esau abraham's grandson esau think of king saul think of the many false prophets of israel and idolaters of israel think of the pharisees and the scribes that rejected jesus every single one of them were circumcised but jesus denied that they were abraham's children so in john chapter 8 verses 39 through 44 this is what jesus says if you were abraham's children you would be doing the works that abraham did you are of your father the devil you see jesus he's not talking to gentiles He's talking to people who can physically trace their lineage to uh, Abraham. People who are every single one of them were circumcised. But having that physical circumcision did not mean that they belonged to God. Having that physical circumcision did not mean that God recognized them as the heirs of the promises that he made to Abraham. Because Jesus calls them, you, your father, is the devil. But nevertheless, these words came to be used in such a way that being circumcised meant you are in God's covenant. Being uncircumcised meant you are strangers and outsiders God's, to God's covenant because God ordinarily works through the physical means of grace to convey His spiritual blessings. And think about what's happening here this morning. Here is a man of flesh and blood speaking words that that are carried through vibrations in the air that reach your eardrums. Purely physical acts, aren't they? And yet through these physical means, God conveys to you spiritual graces. Or think back to uh, the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and God expelled them from the garden so that they would not reach out and take from the tree of life and live. Now, most certainly, the fruit of the tree of life had no power to give eternal life apart from God's power. It's not that fruit itself contained in it some magical power that apart from God's blessing, it could convey to Adam eternal life. But... Ordinarily, God works through physical means, and by barring Adam and Eve from the tree of life, God was communicating to them, declaring to them that the spiritual graces that were promised in the fruit are lost to them. That through their disobedience, they have disqualified themselves and they have forfeited the gift. And that is why to be called uncircumcised, to be without the visible sign of the covenant, it can, in a manner of speaking, be the shorthanded way of saying that they lack the spiritual graces of God's covenant graces and that they are outsiders to God's covenant promises. And as such, the Gentiles, they suppress the knowledge of their Creator. And they did it both by choice and because of their bondage. They chose alienation from God. And Paul outlines here five features of their alienation from God in verse 12. Remember that you were at the time, one, this is the first feature of alienation from God, separated from Christ. Two, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, three, strangers to the covenants of promise, four, having no hope, and five, without God in the world. And if I were to slightly rephrase uh, what Paul is saying here to bring out the sense, this is what Paul is saying. Without Jesus, you had no citizenship in God's kingdom. You could not call on God as my Father and my God. You had no prospect of deliverance from judgment, and you had no true knowledge of God. Jesus isn't just one option among many viable options. Without Jesus, you are truly alienated, lost, hopeless and godless so that's the first thing that paul tells us alienation from heaven without jesus second thing that paul draws our attention to is alienation on earth alienation on earth because the gentiles you see were also alienated from israel and so Paul says they were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands now what helps us to understand what's going on is this Herod the Great the man who attempted to kill newborn Jesus um, he was not a very well liked figure But he endeared himself to the Jews by building the temple in a grand and ostentatious way. And Herod's temple was built on an elevated platform. And surrounding the temple proper was first of all the court of the priest. This is the area where only the priest can enter into. Surrounding the court of the priests was the court of Israel. And this is the place where men of Israel can be. Outside the court of Israel was the court of women. This is where women can come. And then, taking 19 steps down from that elevated platform, stood an imposing tall and thick wall. And outside that wall was the court of the Gentiles. And you see, the court of the Gentiles, you could come in if if you are a Gentile, and you could look up and see the temple, but you could not trespass the wall. You could not go beyond the wall to come any closer. And all over the wall, there were warnings written in Greek and Latin saying, Trespassers will be prosecuted? No. Trespassers will be executed. You see, the Jews, they detested the Gentiles. Why? Now think back to how God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And God said to Abraham, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed you see god made covenant with abraham and god set apart abraham's descendants in order to bless the nations but israel betrayed god's calling And not only did they betray God's calling to be a blessing to the nations, not only did they betray God's calling to be light to Gentiles, they reframed that very betrayal as righteousness. And they built their religion around that very betrayal of God's calling. And they built their religion around hating the Gentiles. It's frightening, isn't it? It's frightening that we can so easily convince ourselves that our rebellion and sin against God are actually righteousness and be so proud of it. In the very place where the Jews were so confident they got God's will exactly right was exactly the place where they were so wrong in the very place where they thought they were serving God, was where they had betrayed God. And Paul recognizes the tragedy. And he calls the, tells the Gentiles, the Ephesian believers, you will call the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now the Old Testament makes distinction between circumcision that is of the flesh that is made by hand and the circumcision of the heart that is by grace and faith. So Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 16, Moses there says to Israel, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. You see, Moses himself, and of course God speaking through Moses, from the very beginning of Israel's birth as a nation was telling them, yes, it's right for you to be circumcised in the flesh, but that is not enough. Because the circumcision that really matters is not the circumcision of the flesh by hand, but the circumcision of the heart, the removal of what is unclean, rejecting of what is unclean in your heart by grace and by faith. And you see, the the reason the Jewish people hated the Gentiles, that hatred for the Gentiles that they had, the despising, it actually came from their uncircumcised heart because their hearts were not cleansed by grace and through faith. And that is why there was an impenetrable wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, alienated on earth. Ephesians, they were alienated from heaven because of their sin, and they were alienated on earth because of the betrayal of the calling by God's people. Where does it leave us? It leaves us with the last point Jesus the reconciler. Jesus the reconciler. In verse 13, Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, um, next week, we will look at verse 13 more in detail. But today, let me simply give you the just the, the barest outline of what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that Jesus reconciles sinners to God, and through Jesus, sinners become saints. And, and in Jesus, Paul is saying that the Jews and the Gentiles are no longer foes in alienation, but because of what Jesus has done, the Jews and the Gentiles, they become brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ. So because of Jesus, the alienation from heaven with God is replaced with reconciliation. And because of Jesus, human to human alienation is replaced with reconciliation. How does Jesus do this? And how come only Jesus can do this? Well, you see, it is in Jesus. It is in Jesus that the spiritual graces that were promised in circumcision become true. You see, the physical act of circumcision was reminding every Israelite person, just as your father Abraham was counted righteous before God by his faith, so you too must put your faith in God's promises and by grace and by faith must be counted righteous. And so circumcision was promising, was pointing their eyes that they cannot be right with God unless they lived as their father Abraham. Believe the promises of God. Embrace His grace and by faith and by grace have their hearts cleansed. And as long as they put their faith in mere act of physical circumcision, it left them sinners. It left them condemned. It left them without hope. But in Jesus, the promises and the graces that were promised in circumcision become true. Because it is in Jesus, and it is through Jesus, that we are cleansed. And we stand before God no longer as sinners, but as saints. And it is because of Jesus. When both a Jew and the Gentile, they look upon the crucified Jesus and say, without the crucified Jesus, without his shed blood, without his broken body, I have no hope. You see, the blood of Jesus puts every person on the same level. Whether you were raised in a religious respectable home, Or you were raised in an unbelieving home, whether you lived a respectable life or a scandalous life, when you come before the Lord Jesus, the crucified Lord Jesus, you stand in the same place. Because you say, without Jesus, without his blood, without his broken body, without his death, I have nothing. And then from Jesus you receive his righteousness that same perfect righteousness and that is why when we become believers instantly there is a bond of kinship and if you understand the gospel rightly you realize that you have no cause no right to look down on another believer as if to say i am better Because if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we realize that Jesus has not only reconciled us to God, but he has reconciled us to one another. That Jesus, his death, his resurrection, have removed the human walls of separation, like class, like race. They all disappear. And we are formed into one body and new creation. You know, time to time I hear people um, that are looking for a church say, you know, I really want to find a church where there are like minded people as I am. What's worse is I've heard some pastors say that. You know, my vision is to plant a church toward young professionals. That's not the gospel. The gospel message is that the gospel breaks down walls of separation. And if we truly understand the gospel message, we realize that being reconciled to God means being reconciled to one another. That these things that we once held to be important and defining, they lose their importance. Because we are brought into one Jesus and we are formed into one body as new creation. That is to say, uh, everything is not relative. Jesus is not just one option among many viable options, Jesus is uniquely gloriously and supremely the hope of all mankind in jesus name amen now let's pray together heavenly father we thank you for your son jesus christ for jesus is the perfect savior of every man and every woman who draws near with faith and repentance. And since Jesus has reconciled us to you, we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts for peace and for unity, that among those who call upon your name, we may grow in love, in service, in humility, and to love deeply, the souls for whom you died. Oh Lord Jesus, help us to live and to live out the beauty of what you have accomplished. For we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.